welcome to Authority Issues, a podcast about leadership, management, and actually beginning to see a future where I can go inside another person's home and drink their booze. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pie or Pie Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller. Parmesan is best cheese, though. I don't know that I can 100% agree, but I don't 100% disagree. Uh, Today on the show, we're talking with Matt Rogish, co-founder and CEO at Kimball. Hi, Matt. Hi, Hi, Matt. Welcome, Matt. Yeah. We're excited you're here. So so, uh, I'm going to ask Matt to dive in. But for context, um, Matt was my (laughs) boss for three, four years. Mm -hmm. And uh, I worked very closely with him. He, when I moved back to America from China, Matt was the first person that hired me. uh, And he was stuck with me for a while. But uh, so I have lots of context into Matt, but uh, we are here to share some of that with everybody. So back, back all the way up, Matt, to, um, you know, how you got started in your career, um, how that led to leadership, um, how that led to, well, there's just going to be a million places to go from there. Let's start, let's start with that. Absolutely. This is going to be good. Yeah. So um, I came, come from a somewhat entrepreneurial family. Uh, my father had his own business. And so uh, from a very early age, I saw someone who went out there and tried to make it work, had companies create and fail. And so I don't know if I have it in my blood, but I certainly have always had it in uh, example that I saw. And so in uh, high school, uh, I took elective computer science courses, you know, programming classes. So I learned to see program in C in high school. And then in college, uh, friends of uh, friends and me started a company, an internet company, which didn't go anywhere, but was kind of fun. Um, <laughs> and uh, that was in the late 90s. So kind of when things looked uh, like we could make so much money off of a stupid website. Unfortunately, we did not. We lost money, but it was fun. It was a good experience. Um, and then uh, I started working for the university as a as a report writer, basically writing SQL for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, moved to Washington D.C., became a database administrator for a genetics company. Went back to school to get my MBA. Then uh, started off as the CTO of the J. Peterman Company, which is the apparel company from Seinfeld. Oh, wow! And uh, and then started uh, in startups from there on out. Okay, and, so and, yeah, go ahead, no, 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 no. I, I have questions. <laughs> I already, already, that's way too abbreviated. So, mm-hmm. um, so you decided to get an MBA out of college. What made you decide to do that? Um. So I had a computer science background, but I'm not a very good software. And so I said, but do you know okay. about that? Know that about yourself. <laughs> yes. I was like, <laughs> I, I like the creative aspect of writing software, but I am not very good at it. And, you know, we get in conversations about laws of Demeter and, you know, how many indirections you have and all this stuff. I'm just like, oh, I am not good at this. I don't get it. Um, I like writing, you know, web apps with Ruby and Rails. And so I'm sort of, sort of a, a beginner in that aspect. Um, but I really love technology. I love building things. I love the industry we're in and all of the really cool and, and, uh, interesting things we can do with it. And I said, Mm -hmm. but I don't know anything about running a business. I don't know anything about the, 
non-technology side of these things, because as we all know, there's more to business than just writing software. You got to have money that comes in and got to sell stuff and market it and all those other things. <laughs> you don't, you don't have to have matters. money come in. No, that's there's true. That's true. Certain kind of businesses. <laughs> <laughs> Not, uh, I, 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 that would make so life you, easier if we don't have to worry about it. You had <laughs> plans to, to start a company because of yes. the background that your Correct. family had, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. And had, and, and you, as you, and just also to backpedal there a bit, uh, to there a bit. Um, you said your father started multiple companies, multiple businesses. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you saw him succeed, right? You said you saw him fail, but mm -hmm. you also saw him succeed in that, in that, in that, that was what was uh, attractive to you about that situation. What I saw the most was the freedom that he got by being able to be his own boss. He mm -hmm. didn't have to now he had customers and those are bosses of a kind and we'll talk <laughs> yes. about those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, if he wanted to leave at three o'clock to come to band practice and pick me up, he would come do that. And I, I said, that's the kind of father I want to be. Like, that's mm -hmm. the kind of person, okay. that's the kind of freedom I want to have. I don't want to have somebody who's like, no one can see me looking at my watch, but you know, it's, it's nine o'clock, <laughs> it's five o'clock. Like you got to be sitting in your chair until five. Where's Matt? One. Why is it? Yeah, right. Exactly. Seats and butts or butts and seats, right? Wrong yep. way around. And <laughs> <laughs> seats and butts. Well, if your chair breaks, you know, you go. Oh my. Uh, yeah. So, okay, cool. So you had, yeah. you went right into it thing. I'm going to do, I'm going to have that life for myself as well. Yeah. Um, very intentional, so very directional. You started a company in college Mm -hmm. Were you, would you, you know, what kind of leadership experience did you get from that? So it sounds like the, right then you were kind of collaborating at the very least with people, if not mm -hmm. managing them. Yep. It was myself uh, and two other co-founders. I was the CTO. Um, and we were a like sports discussion community before there was like Google groups and things like that. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of it was working with people who didn't understand technology. Uh, so there was a lot of communication that had to be done because a lot of the job is trying to take something that is up here and nebulous and turn it into, Hey, this is where I think we should go. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I think we should, you know, move, we migrated from a database called MySQL because back in the nineties, it was not so good to a database called Sybase. Um, and mm -hmm. how did we, you know, how did we come to that conclusion and how did I, you know, get everybody on board and all that stuff was a really interesting thing to do as a 22 year old um, or 20 mm -hmm. when I was 21. I didn't have uh, very good people skills at that time in that area. Uh, and so that was a very interesting learning opportunity of like, all right, we're switching databases. And everybody's like, why? And I'm like, because I said so. Because I said so. That yeah, doesn't work. I'm the boss that's, of you. That's really bad. Yeah, that's, that's not so good. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. So, okay, so cool. I've learned a few things. Hopefully. Since All right. Then. And then from there, you went to business school. Mm -hmm. uh, did they teach you anything about managing people in business school? I've, I don't have an MBA. Um, so I had a couple jobs uh, out of college and then I went back to grad school. And the business school that, that I went to was was interesting. It was not, you know, the top five, right? The Harvard's and whatever. So I don't know what they teach at the, the ones over there. But <laughs> There, it, it was primarily a practitioner program. A lot of, um, you know, here's an intro to accounting. Here's an intro to finance. What is an accounting statement? You know, balance sheet, income statement. How do you create those? Not that you're expected to create them when you have an MBA, but you need to understand what are the inputs to these things. And what do you use this tool for? 
So it's kind of like trying to get you this toolbox of all these things. So you say, I know how to read an income statement or a balance sheet. I know what inputs went into that. So I can discuss and compare and contrast all these different metrics. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, there were definitely leadership courses, which I really liked. Um, <laughs> some of the people in my class did not like them. They were like, oh, <laughs> this is fluffy or this is froofy. I just want to you know, get more accounting finance. Name whatever. names. Like, <laughs> Never work for those people. <laughs> and I was like, this is the best part because like, if because we're all we all have to organize we have to organize people to do something bigger than ourselves that's that's leadership that's business 101 is that if i can do it by myself it's not big enough for me personally mm -hmm. and so like i want to do something that's important uh and valuable uh, that people like and that makes a dent in the universe and it's very hard to do that as a single individual human without mm -hmm. being able to organize people around your vision your idea your strategy whatever and so we had a couple of those courses, which I, I loved in negotiation and things like that. Uh, but a lot of people wanted just the nuts and bolts. They were like, why are we doing that okay. stuff? I was like, I want more of this. Like, I, I wish the whole thing was that because that's all business is. It's organizing people. Or is that humans Kendall to do with it? His job is to talk to people. <laughs> exactly. <That's it>. Yeah. <laughs> Marriage counseling. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, okay. okay. And then I interrupted Kendall right about this point. You then right out of business school went on to become the CTO of a company I've actually heard of, which is pretty great. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then what, Kendall, you were going to ask? Well, yeah, I mean, you you, you got to keep going from there. So Jay Peterman and you were CTO for them. It mm -hmm. was uh, e-commerce. And and where did you go from there? And give us give us a little bit more details on the steps in between. And was it was where did you go work for Jay Peterman? Was it in New York with Elaine or where <laughs> were you? Uh, uh, the mm -hmm. headquarters of the Jay Peterman company uh, was on a road called Primrose Court in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, where Keeneland is, a horses, lots of horses uh, in Lexington. It's a very, very beautiful place. I went to grad school at Miami University of uh, Ohio. Uh, and as they like to say, Ohio was, a, or Miami was a university before Florida was a state because there's a little bit of uh, people get upset when they're like, I said, Miami of Florida. And you're like, no, you know, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't personally care, but, but people thought that was funny. And um, I met the uh, the CEO of the J. Peterman company uh, in grad school because we were, you had to do an internship and I interned at a venture capital firm in Cincinnati. And we met through a thing and uh, he was like, hey, do you, want, do you want to be the CTO? I was like, that's cool. Let, let's talk about it. So so we had a good conversation. And so I moved, this was in 2008 or nine, the middle of the financial crisis. Uh, and it was not obvious that there would be lots of jobs, you know, coming out of grad school with an MBA. So I was like, let's do it. Right. So I moved to Lexington, uh, was there for a couple of years. Um, uh, it's an, an apparel company, uh, e-commerce. Mm -hmm. There's a J. Peterman economy. You can go there today. There's a J. Peterman shirt, which no one else can see, but, uh, <laughs> that was, Very that nice was unexpected, shirt. but it, it's a J. Peterman shirt. Um, nice. uh, from there, uh, moved to Baltimore. For a little bit then to new york city finally but not to work with elaine um uh and did a i was cto or uh, head of technology or first hire of a number of startups in new york uh very very startup focused after that uh those i think all of them <laughs> no longer exist as startups tend to do and then um in 2014 2015 ish uh moved to suburban philly where we are now and started uh reactive ops the company that kendall and i worked at for a long time okay. and so so okay i want to i want to back up a little yeah. bit and then come back to that the um 
I mean, when you look back on your MBA and, and Rachel asked you specifically, did you get leadership training? But like, what are the things that you feel like you got that were most valuable there? And, and was it how to build and own a PL? Was it uh, something else? Like, I, I, the reason I ask this is, um, well, I have two grad degrees that I would never impose upon somebody else, and they're not very useful to my <laughs> living. Uh, and and but and I think I could say, hey, go read these five books, and you're going to learn the vast majority of what I actually took away from that. And I'm curious, like, what do you feel like you actually took away from it? And and was it how to work a system? How to was it the connections? What you know? What were the things that were actually really valuable from it? Yeah. So, very similar to your experience, like you can get all this in a book right? Accounting yeah. 101, like writing income statements, double entry bookkeeping, like that's, uh, you can read a blog post and you can get all of that. I think what was interesting about it, in addition to the leadership courses, which I thought were great, like introduced to Daniel Pink and the book Drive, like we had to read that in one of the courses, which is fantastic. Everybody listening to this, if they haven't, if they don't know Daniel Pink or Drive should go read it. It's about um, incentive design and, and uh, financial performance compensation for, for stuff. But what I think was the most valuable was it was an intense learn by doing experience. And what I mean by that is anyone can read a book about systems design but, or something, let's just say. But at least if you're like me anyway, that's not enough to do something, right? I can read a book about Ruby on Rails and they're like, here's a simple little toy project. And like, I still don't know Rails, right? Like I just built a silly little toy project and, and they didn't really teach me anything. I need to apply it to a problem I have in my brain and I need to do it a lot for me to get good at it, I think. And so what I thought was interesting about the MBA program was after you get the fundamentals out of the way, like these, these 101 courses, it turned into case-based analysis and study. So you get a case, which is, you know, five pages or hundred pages, whatever it is about something. And it was funny, they're all from uh, Harvard Business School, HBS. So you can download all, these off the internet. And one of them was about Jay Peterman, which is kind of funny. There is an HBS for Jay Peterman because Jay Peterman went out of business in the 90s and then reformed. Um, but the case study was before the Reformation uh, or before it came back. But at any rate, what I think was sort of interesting about it is um, everything was group work. So you did have to figure out, like, how do you get a group to do a thing, especially when they might not agree with you. I know a lot of people hate group work because it's always that one person over there who's like not doing a thing, but uh -huh. so, you know, you all do it. So the entire thing was, it was a cohort for two years and it was all group work. And so in addition to formulating a strategy around what should this business do? Because that's what a case is. It's like, here's where they are. Now what? Um, it was, you had to, you had to solve it as a team. So even if you thought the right thing to do is A, B, C, D, E in this order, the, the three other four people on the team might not have agreed with that. And so how do you negotiate as a, as a group to say, well, I think, and there's no right or wrong answer. I mean, the wrong answers, obviously, but, but there's no right answer. It's not like you write a piece of software and it executes and it spits out the answer. It's, it's this nebulous thing of what should the business do next? And so trying to work within a small group and advocate for your ideas, for what you think the business should do, but then you have to come together. And even if you disagree with it in the sort of um, Amazon example of disagree and commit, like you've just got to go with what it is. And then you do a presentation in front of the group or your whole class with like, here's why we think the business should do X, Y, and Z and some of the analysis to support it, but you have to be convincing in your presentation too. So 
working on that muscle of disagree and commit, I think is really helpful because it's not easy to do, or at least it's not for me. And so having a, a lot of experience in that because you have to do it, I think is helpful. And in a way, I didn't think that it was going to go that way because a lot of the times, you know, I have a computer science degree. It's the same thing, right? Like you read a book about programming, it's the same thing as, as going to school. And I don't think undergrad had quite that same kind of like you had to be there sort of vibe. But I think yeah. for the MBA in particular, the interesting thing was having that interaction day in and day out with a group that you have to keep working with and demonstrating leadership here or following there. Cause it's a hard, you can't always be the leader. Mm -hmm. You yeah. have to figure out what works and what doesn't and how to, okay, well, I owe this person a thing. So <laughs> I'm going to let them do a thing. So it's an interesting uh, interpersonal an thing. Ongoing collaboration. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Okay. And no one was the leader, right? There was no boss. It's not like, right. it's not like one person in the group was tapped always as like, well, you're the head of the group. So you always right. had, you had to figure out, it was very fluid in who was going to drive this uh, based on their ideas or their conviction sometimes. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Well, so, oh no, that's great. And, and I wanna, I wanna dig a little bit into how you look back on uh, founding, running, reactive ops, et cetera. And I, I feel like I should put a disclaimer at the beginning of this, which is like, <laughs> I mean, Matt and I did work very closely together, right, Matt? I mean, there were times where where I was so mad at you, I couldn't see straight. There were times where you were so mad at me. I mean, I've been on the phone saying, so do you need to fire me? Right? I mean, we've had that conversation. Yeah, and you uh, fired and me. It's great. <laughs> well, we can get to that in a minute. Um, but it was the best, best firing uh, ever. Uh, I mean, I think like it's it's an interesting thing because it was an intense relationship we had mm -hmm. because I mean, because getting a company up off the ground fucking sucks sometimes. I mean, you're saying it. there's times where it's good, but there's an awful lot of times where it ain't. And, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, I think like, I, I, I want to get out in front of like, we've been through thick and thin together. There's things that drive us crazy about each other. But at the end of the day too, like, I'm thankful for what you did at Reactive Ops and thankful for where I landed. And you're the one that gave me the opportunity to be here. And like, you know, uh, there's there's complexity to all of those feelings, but like we made through an awful lot together and we had some pretty <laughs> impressive time. So, so all of that is my disclaimer. Um, <laughs> I have a question. I'm, I'm very ahead. thankful that you reached out to me in your very salesian way in Rand's leadership slack uh in 2015 maybe 2014 i don't know you reached out uh and if i remember correctly you were uh hey i've i've seen what you're looking for at reactive ops mm. and uh i have maybe a company that might be interested in your services i was like what like that's how i remember the interact i don't know if it, that's how it actually worked but that's my i was gonna ask you like how did you come to hire kendall what yeah what and, about and it was Kendall's love at first experience? Sight. yeah yeah <laughs> and well so so the way i remember it is a little different okay oh. you had posted well no you had posted on hacker news something oh. like hey i'm hiring sres at, at reactive ops right yeah and so i re reached out and i think i said hey i'm not an sre uh -huh. Here's the five things I'm good at. And we end up on a call having a conversation. You're starting to think maybe about a salesperson. Huh. And I hung up and talked to a bunch of friends and found a guy who was interested in hiring mm -hmm. you right then. Yeah. And, and, and the funny part to me is 
I think that made you raise your eyebrows and say, oh, I could hire this guy. He's going to make us money. And we negotiated, got you talked to that person. You got all the way up to the point of maybe there's a deal here, made me a job offer. I accepted the job. And then that client said, no, nah, I don't want to buy. Uh, which <laughs> you hired Kendall. What a terrible Worked idea. out great for me. Uh, but, uh, I, but anyways. Well, um, hiring you and working with you is one of the great joys of my life. And so I really, oh. I really appreciate everything that that you bring to the table it's it, it was a joy working with you and and uh thank you i know that's bullshit some of the time maybe, maybe in general but uh i know there were times where it was not a joy working with me but anyways mm-hmm. we got all talk. right all right let's 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 reel this back in okay okay yeah so i am curious like how do you look back on that like talk a little bit about the beginning days of that getting that company up off the ground what did you learn as a leader running a company and making it actually go because you did build a profitable company that is still around mm-hmm uh what did you leave everything learned everything right um it, it was it was definitely an intense experience and so uh, i don't know why i'm doing it again uh but it's it, it, it's the, it's <laughs> you the get only to set your own hours right now <laughs> uh, yeah well it's, it's it's the only way i really know how to operate really is is sort of on that that knife's edge of of chaos and being in control and out of control and the anxiety around like it might not work but it might uh, is is apparently where I enjoy being. I'm a weird person in that way. So yeah. yeah, like I I I could never go work at at uh, a very large company that where it's like okay, I come in and come out, and we're we have billions of dollars in profit, and nothing I do really impacts that in any meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Like I could work there for 20 years, and it's as if I never worked there at all. Right? Like that's that. And it works for some people, and that's great. And and there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I just it, it, I, I don't thrive there. Um, it was really interesting that it coincided with the birth of our first child, because I've learned a lot about leadership from having children. I don't know uh, if, if you empathize with that. You're not the first that. to say that. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, it, it's really interesting. Uh, the the things you learn as a, as a leader when you have to deal with people uh, who are rational and don't make sense and have brains that are not fully formed. Uh, and then you go talk to your children. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I was going to say, are you calling Kendall a child? <laughs> no, that was, that was well played. Having, no, but you know, dealing with, with children like that is a really interesting thing around, like you said, like trying to step back and say, Oh, that's interesting. What happened there? Like that's a skill I'm still learning versus having that snap judgment or that snap reaction to someone didn't do a thing the way that I like it to. And, you know, maybe I got mad or frustrated by that. Um, having children taught me a lot about like, huh, what's going on there it is, is a, is for me a better reaction that helps me control my emotions and also approach it with a sense of inquisity and, like, oh, that's interesting because it's very easy as a leader uh, to say, like, I think this thing should be a thing. And then people go off and do it, but they have a better answer, right? Like they have a better view of whatever the problem is. And so what I think is has been helpful for me over time, but one of the big things I learned at, at a company starting at Reactive Ops with just me and then hiring and hiring more people, really, really amazing people, was so much of that. I, I 
you're so much better at this than I am. You're, you know, how can I help you? Right. Cause like, I'm, I'm, I'm not the best at this, especially when you're a senior leader or a CEO, I have a head of marketing, a head of sales, head of technology, VP, whatever it is, they are by definition, the best at whatever it is that they're doing. I am not going to make them a better CTO or a VP of engineering or a head of marketing. They, they know that better than me. So do you so, feel like you mm-hmm. came into this as, you know, sort of arrogant, maybe a little bit, and then learned from seeing other people execute uh, that that perhaps that's not the way to approach things? So you said you, you moved into having an approach of curiosity rather mm-hmm. than judgment. Um, I, Kendall can say whether it was arrogant or not. Uh, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I think... I think what it uh, wasn't so much arrogance as, um, you know, frustration with uh, this person didn't do a thing or didn't do it as well as I would like to him. Not that, that I knew the answer, but like I had a nebulous, like, I think it should have been better than that. Kind of like yeah. a, a, a very terrible version of Steve Jobs. Not that I was modeling myself after him, but kind of like, I was like, I think that could be better, but I don't know how to articulate that. I don't know how to like, to just to present that prior <laughs> mm-hmm. to having somebody do a thing. Um, and so then I would get upset and it was me. It was all about me not being able to communicate clearly. And, okay. and my frustration uh, was like, why did, why, why, Rah! you know, kind of a thing rather than being able to say, oh, okay, what, what does success look like? I don't know, but let's co-create that. So and then we're on the same you. page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right, cool. And so you've done, oh, sorry, Kendall, it looks like he's about to say something. No, no, go ahead. Go for it. So you've obviously learned a lot on the job over the years about leadership. Uh, What has been the most difficult or most embarrassing lesson you've had to learn so far? The most difficult, yeah, yeah, well, (laughs) there's there's so many, so many, Um, at least for me personally, the most difficult thing managing my own expectations or that kind of, it kind of goes back to that managing myself mm-hmm. is especially when you're a senior leader or CEO and founder is you can get away with stuff that you shouldn't and, you know, losing my temper or, or stuff along those lines, or, or just, you know, uh, the, the biggest thing that is both embarrassing and the biggest learning is just how can I be a very effective leader if I can't manage my own emotions or mm-hmm. manage my own feelings about, my interactions or with the company or whatever it is. Cause in a startup, everything's going wrong all the time, even when it's going really well. And as a founder and CEO, especially one whose entire net worth, zero retirement account, no, no money in the bank account, all of it is tied up in yeah, a firm. Yeah. Uh, and right. It's nothing like at stake all, at all. <laughs> nothing at stake at all. And somebody, you know, doesn't do a thing. Uh, it's very hard. It was hard for me. And it still is, of course, it's always a work in progress not to take that personally, even though it's not, Mm-hmm. It was. So there's a lot the of my own personal identity personal. wrapped yeah. up in that. And uh, it's it's been a long journey. Lots, lots of therapy. Uh, uh, you know, a lo- long <laughs> More journey. More people should get therapy. Oh, my gosh. I, my spouse is a therapist. Uh, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing. And um, it. Uh, that, I think, when I look back, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I was really embarrassed about how I did those interactions. For sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And um, well, so so we stopped you at Reactive Ops too. You should share a little bit about what you're doing now, mm-hmm. what that looks like, how big's the team. Give a sales plug. You're here. You might as well, you know, <laughs> sure. tell people what the product, 
Um, yeah. So uh, a friend of mine from Reactive Ops, uh, Philip Cristiano, you know, Philip Kendall, uh, he yep. worked at Reactive Ops. Uh, it, we sold Reactive Ops in March of 2019. I took the summer off for the first time since I was in high school. It was glorious. <laughs> uh, it was it was really nice to to have no slack on my phone, all those kinds of things. Um, but uh, I I had some some ideas that had been bouncing around in my head uh, about like some stuff that I had noticed over the years in my own history and like things that Reactive Ops customers had said. And so I said, you know, I think there's a market opportunity for this sort of idea. And so if Reactive Ops, which is now called Fairwinds, by the way, for everybody, sure you plug, they're great. You should go hire them. Um, the original vision for Reactive Ops was uh, everybody builds their own Heroku on top of AWS. They just do a terrible job of it because Heroku is amazing. It's magic. And so that was the original vision. And one of the things I noticed is that data science is sort of the same thing. Everybody starts with, you know, how do I look at data? How do I analyze it? How do I build predictive models? How do I use those models inside of my software? So they build their own shitty data Heroku, if that makes Excel. sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Excel and like linear, you know, when it's just linear regression, probably work best. But at any rate, um, and I had seen that in my own companies when I had to hire, or when I was CTO in a place, we'd have to hire data scientists and they would go off and do alchemy for a while. And they would come back with like a model that's like, like I said, basic linear regression, but it took six months. They uh, wizards. And it, <laughs> right. And, uh, and it was slow because they're not, you know, software engineers in that way. Uh, and then we have to figure out how to get in our code and we figure out how to call it. And of course the model is old instantly. Mm -hmm. So uh we started off doing that with like i said a friend of mine uh, from reactive ops uh, in late 2019 uh 2019 was might have been a good year to start a startup 2020 was not mm -hmm. uh, for various reasons and so uh in any rate we started building uh this thing uh that we call kimball which has nothing to do with kendall although it sounds very similar Though that might be in my brain, like I might have a wires crossed back there. Uh, it, it, the original, uh, uh, so it's a, essentially it's a data science platform for optimization of what we call nudges. So your software might do recommendations for something, right? Like if you're an invoice analysis company, uh, you might say, oh, this invoice is trending towards not being paid. Why don't you pick up the phone and call this person, right? So how do you know that that's the right thing to do? How do you know when to call them? All of that is based around data science, uh, which our software can predict. But then how do you know that that was effective? So our software looks at the event stream. It looks at your software and it says, we recommended you do a thing. We saw you do the thing and then the invoice got paid. Just making it up. It's not a great example, mm -hmm. but it's one we probably all can understand. And it applies to marketing as well, right? Like I gave somebody uh, a coupon or a discount, did that do anything? So marketing attribution is a nudge problem as well. So our software essentially says, call our API, we'll tell you what to do. We'll optimize that over time. We'll do automatic A-B testing, things that you'd have to hire people to do. And, uh, you know, so we've been, <laughs> we've been at that for uh, about a year and a half now. And uh, we're, we're bootstrapping um, so far. And we'll probably try to raise some money. Um, one th things things are, uh, looking looking good so far. Cool. Cool. So, and, oh, go ahead, Kendall. <laughs> well, okay, no, that's that's good. I mean, the um, 
Well, I, I, we'll, we'll go into the, the question we ask everybody on the show, yes. which is, you know, talk about your relationship with authority. How do you feel about having authority over others? What about <laughs> others having authority over you? It sounds like you've given us a little bit of ha others having authority over you. That's why you like to be CEO. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to put words in your mouth. Talk, talk about that. Yeah. So one of the interesting things, I, I've been attracted to startups for a long time. I like the ability to have a big impact on, on a thing. And, you know, to some degree, if you're, if you're good at what you do, don't give it away for free. Right. And so by having a piece of the upside in terms of equity, in theory, if you are able to have a big, um, impact, you, you get an outside return rather than just a straight salary at, at some big company. So the converse of that is, um, you may have people of authority view like investors, uh, you may have, you know, a small number of customers who have outsized authority over you. Um, so, uh, what, what did Bob Dylan, right? He wrote that song. You got to serve somebody like, no, everybody's got a, somebody that, you know, they have to serve. And mm -hmm. what I think is interesting is I have friends who work at Google and other places. They're like, Hey, why don't you work at Google? You have better job security. I'm like, I'm not sure that's true. Um, I'm not sure that if one person can determine my fate at some company is better than a hundred customers being able to determine my fate. I'm not sure which one's better. It's different. It's different forms of authority. And so I like the more diffuse relationship with authority, which it feels more two way street when it's customers. Right. Um, and of course your employees as a founder, you serve your employees and they have authority over you too, because if I cause everybody to quit, doesn't matter. I own all the company or not. Right. Like I'm SOL, right. Because uh, I, I'm not going to be able to do all the things that people do. So it's, it's, it's very interesting. I grew up as a, uh, sort of anarchist libertarian sort of person because I, I was like, ah, you know, why is, why is all this stuff here? All this stuff is here to control me and whatever. And, uh, I'm reminded of Chesterton's fence. Are you familiar with that? Uh, no. don't remove a fence until you know why it was put up in the first place. Uh -huh. And a lot of society and a lot of authority would be better if we thought of that first, instead of just burning down the, the fence, like why was it there first? And, and I think authority is, is like that as well as that initially it feels unpleasant and controlling and whatever, but like it was probably put there for a good reason. And until you know why it's there, it's probably not a great idea to rebel against it. Like, or at least burn it down. And so, you know, I, I, so that's how I feel like I'm having authority over me. And then the converse of that is, is with other people. And that's the great, it's a double-edged sword for being a leader to have authority, right? You need to have authority to do things that you need to do as a company, especially as a senior executive, you might have to do layoffs or things that the company has to do. And you have to have authority to be able to do that. And it sucks and it's not fun. I, I worked at startups in which we had to lay everybody off but that was the right thing for the company. And, but it, it was terrible. And I had to be the one who, who told everybody to do that. And so I think it's important to acknowledge that power that you have as a leader or that authority that you have for other people. So you can wield it appropriately because it is necessary sometimes, uh, as much as none of us like having somebody having authority over us, sometimes it's, uh, it, it can be the best thing for the company. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Okay. And you said that you, uh, you, this has changed since you were a kid. Cause that's another question that we ask a lot. Of us. 
you know, you you uh, started out as a as an anarcho anarcho libertarian, yeah, so uh -huh. super John Galt Society type situation. Sure. Yes. Uh, and uh, John, John Galt Society. Wait a minute, I mashed up two terribly different things. Um, <laughs> but in any case, uh, so that changed. Why did you determine that it is better? You know that that some authority, some rules are there for a reason. Did you have an experience about that? Um. So I thought about Star Trek. <laughs> oh, well, I think about Star Trek a lot too. So let's hear yeah. it. Yeah. And what what's the the next generation primarily? I, mm -hmm. I I grew up watching that too, and and a seed was planted and didn't blossom and germinate until I was in my late twenties or early thirties. Was that what you know happens when material need to exist goes away? Mm -hmm. Right, because with replicators and transport technology, anyone could just say, build me a house. I have all the food I want. I, I don't have to have a job in order to do a thing. So like what happens after that? You know, people mm -hmm. What's might, the incentive to work? Right, the incentive to work, right? Exactly. And I was like, huh, that doesn't kind of make sense in, in this anarchic mm -hmm. libertarian thing. Is we're headed towards there. I mean, I hope. I hope we can have yeah, me too. stuff like that where nobody is, you know, free. Everybody's free from want and everybody gets what they need and all that stuff. I hope we can come up with free energy that creates it little replicator thingy. And I can say, I want a cheeseburger and give it to me. Um, and so, so I was like, you know, I, I think that there is some amount. Wait, I, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. Your imaginary perfect future future. You can have a cheeseburger whenever you want one. Want. Cheeseburgers oh, are sushi. great. What's Everyone wrong with that? Sushi. <laughs> sushi. Yeah. And Nagiri, you know, we can get some sushi. Yeah. Here too. Uh, okay. Sorry. Keep going. And so, you know, I think societies and organizations and, and companies do or, or people need to work together and need to sacrifice something for the greater good. And that comes along with submitting to authority sometimes. And I think that the greatest achievements in human history are of yet to be discovered, but I think they're all going to come from people sacrificing to build something better and bigger than what their selfish desires would allow them to do. And, you know, I, I hope that that we can get there with stuff like that. And that's what Star Trek taught me, because I was like, how can we get to Star Trek? We can't get there if everybody's doing their own individual selfish things. Oh, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I definitely am, you know, I'm personally a fan of, of universal basic income and so forth. I want that to happen because of the reasons you're talking about, right? The the world is moving along and the the the, in, the input of humans is less and less needed to get stuff, mm -hmm. you know, to happen. Can have more robots, can have more automation. Uh, so yeah, I'm hoping that we are, are headed there and we'll get there pretty soon. And I also don't think that having your needs met will prevent people from wanting to be creative and sure. produce things and uh, add value to the communities that they're in. I think a lot of mm -hmm. people are like, oh no, I would just sit around and play video games. I'm like, well, okay. I've tried that. It sucks. It's not fun, <laughs> it's fun for like a week, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and then you're like, now I'm bored. I'm really bored. Yes. Now I need to knit something or, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever, make bread, do something different. So yeah, yep. I totally, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that we end up there pretty quick here because, mm -hmm. oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm, I'm, um, Hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't know what I think of that. I, I have a lot of questions. Yeah. Uh, one of them is, um, apparently, you know, uh, 
uh, a capitalist leader of an organization is the adult stage of the pupae anarchist, which is interesting <laughs> to me. Um, but I think uh, happened to a lot of people, to be honest. <laughs> reality, uh, reality teaches you a lot of things. It does. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I, no, I mean, I, I do think that there is something really amazing about getting a group of people together and building something that has never existed before and having them partake in the upside. Like, I think that's, I think that's really interesting. And so I think corporations, as much as they are people, <laughs> um, can, yeah, I just, I'm still thinking of, of, uh, uh, what's his face? Uh, anyway, uh, make, go, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I think there's something interesting about getting people together to do things that they couldn't do before and then building something really neat. And then, you know, having a sense of ownership or, or perspective in that, uh, that you can't get doing anything else. Um, and, and I think that that's a very powerful motivator is a sense of like, this is mine. I know I've worked at companies you probably have had too, with like, we want you to feel like an owner and you mm -hmm. have 0.01 percent of the company and you're like I'm not I'm not an owner. it's fine it's fine like I, I don't need to be an owner <laughs> this is a job right. uh you know it's okay and and I've learned some things about equity in, in my years too um but there there is something you know interesting about being able to get people together in that way okay yeah. and uh and and what we're, is... you know we're oh Kendall sorry go ahead well before we before we move on to to some personal things I'm curious what what is next I mean Matt this hopefully Kimball succeeds wildly but uh cool. I mean do you do you see yourself starting another thing after this do you want to do you want to build one that you can ride into the future and um IPO on Wall Street and retire at the top or are you hoping to do lots of small things do you, do you have a feeling or do you not know yeah it's you know I'm 41 and uh that's that's interesting oh you um, sweet summer child <laughs> <laughs> um you know it, it 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 is a hard thing to start something from scratch it's a lot of energy it's a lot of work um it's fun it's exhausting, especially with, with lots of small children running around your house uh, for the last mm -hmm. year. And so, you know, I don't know, like, I, I certainly want this to be successful. Um, if it doesn't, you know, I, I don't, I have literally nothing planned for if it doesn't work. Because um, mm -hmm. that's generally how I, <laughs> we talking about anxiety and wrapping something up <laughs> in a thing. Um, you know, I tend to go all in on a thing. And, you know, if it blows up, it blows up, and we'll, we'll figure out what's next. Um, I, I, I hope that this is something, I mean, from my perspective, this feels like a thing that needs to exist in the world. This feels like a thing that will make a lot of other people's work, companies, products, and their customers happier because the products are better. And that's what drives me. Like I like helping people. And I think I, I would be sad if this didn't exist in the world. Of course, somebody yeah. else does it, you know, great for them. Mm -hmm. I hope it's us. Uh, <laughs> I hope it's us. But I, I do hope that it's successful. There's also an aspect of, uh, you know, being all in on something that you're founding. Like if you have a backup plan, someone's going to see that and go, well, clearly you don't think this is going to work, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. So in a way you kind of have to be this way. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, and this is a little bit your hobby. I mean, it is your work. It's also the thing that gets you excited, but what, I mean, talk about hobbies outside of this. So what, what, it, what makes Matt tick outside of <laughs> thinking about work? Uh, <laughs> if you ever have a break from such things. Yeah. I was like, 
you know, I last golfed three years ago. So, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> that's what I did. Um, there's a lot of hobbies I would like. So I have a lot of anti-hobbies in that they're, they're hobbies I would like to have that I don't have yet. Like aspirational uh, like think, hobbies. Exactly. Aspirational or, or there's a lot of books I haven't read. So I call it my anti-library. Right. So it's kind of like the same <laughs> thing with, with hobbies. So I, like I have it. all these shelves of books that I haven't read. So it's not my library. I haven't read them. It's my anti-library. So I think of that too, like, I really, when I think about it, there's that analogy of the fisherman and some big city, you know, uh, entrepreneur comes in and says, oh, you really like fishing. Why don't you, you know, create another boat or go hire another boat? And you can have all these people working for you and you build this whole thing. And so the fisherman builds this whole thing and then, you know, busts his ass for 50 years and then retires at 65 and then is just beat down buy all of this stuff and finds the entrepreneur again. The entrepreneur's like, great, now that you can go do whatever you want, like go fishing again. He's like, well, why didn't I just do that? I, I could have been doing that the whole time. <laughs> um, and so there, there's something interesting about hobbies, right? And if you like them too much, maybe that's what you should really be doing. But I, I just remember things that I enjoyed growing up, like we had a little wood shop and I really liked building things. Um, making stuff out of wood, like birdhouses, all that stupid stuff that you do when you're a little kid. I really enjoyed that. And so if I ever have enough resources, time, money, physical space, which we don't have, I would like to have a little wood shop. I don't know what I'd do with it. I would build stuff. Like there'd be, you know, there'd be a hundred little bird houses behind me that I've made and like stupid clocks and stuff. I would just relive my middle school shop class experience um, because I really liked it. <laughs> totally. Yeah. 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 Uh, Okay. And, and we also asked folks some, some stuff about, you know, I mean, you kind of talked about this a little bit earlier on, but uh, you've been a leader for a long time, but has it affected your personal life positively or negatively or both? Yeah. Um, as I, I said before, becoming a parent has made mm -hmm. me a better leader. And I think, you know, has, has becoming a leader impacted my personal life? That's a harder that's a harder question i think for me personally because it's very clear one thing influenced that and then the other way around um certainly coming to the conclusion of what do i like to do do i like to wrap up my whole identity into what i'm doing into leadership or, or this thing absolutely has impacts on my interaction with other people and the decisions I make with respect to like, okay, am I going to go do a family thing? Or am I going to go back to work or whatever it is, especially working from home? <laughs> that's, mm -hmm. that's a very, the lines are very uh, blurred. <laughs> the lines are very blurred and there's always more work to do. Uh, and so being able to delegate, of course, is, is always the interesting thing, but being able to communicate what I want to my family comes out of work, right? So like those two things are, are highly intertwined, right? To be able to articulate like what does success look like? And not that I talk to my kids about, here's what success looks like when I do this thing. Like I don't talk like that to them. Um, but that's sort of the thing. Plate. Now get back to your gummy bears with this idea of success in mind. <laughs> yeah, mind. yeah. But, but it's sort of the same thing of being able to be like, clean your room. Like, well, what does that mean? They don't know what that means, right? Mm -hmm. Like what, my vision of cleaning the room and their vision might be different. Because it always is, of course. I pick up the one thing and like I put my sock away. And you're like, what about all this? And I'm like, oh, you didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> so, so leadership of of being able to herd cats, so to speak, I think has been been helpful personally. But being able to um, 
have a little bit of distance in that process and uh that curiosity that mm -hmm. you were yes you were exactly to. yeah mm -hmm. like Rather why 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 did out exactly because yeah, as a parent it's like why did you do that right like is the is the you know that is the inquisitive thing but when you say it the wrong way it's not um so being, <laughs> <laughs> intonation yes exactly Intonation is very important and so you know being able to be like huh that's interesting like why why did why why exactly did you take all of that paint and pour it all over my laptop like what what um what was going through what uh how did, how did that happen pushing your buttons yeah <laughs> yes uh <laughs> you know that that i learned at work uh, how to try to to seek to understand prior to jumping to conclusions raging yeah yeah mm -hmm. cool mm -hmm. i see yeah that makes sense mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it always i mean i've said before but it always irritates me I am much more able in a work environment to step back and say, how should I respond to this than I am in my family? Mm -hmm. uh, it, when I'm at home dealing with my family, I react. And later I can say, how should I have responded to that? But um, I, am, I, I do not apply the same pause and think for whatever reason. Um, yeah. And it's probably because, you know, they're my children and they're very, very good at knowing which parts <laughs> to press. Uh, I heard that and I don't kids. give them the benefit of the doubt all the time. Yeah. So, <laughs> yep. Anyways, well, we should wrap up for time's sake. Thanks so much mm -hmm. for being here, Matt. Where can people find you on the internet if they want to know more? Sure. So, uh, Twitter, probably the most reasonable place to find me. Find me, twitter.com slash Matt, M A T T Rogish, R O G I S H. I also have a very infrequently updated website at mattrogish.com. Has not been updated in a long time. Um, and then our, our website for the company is just getkimball.com. G-E-T-K-I-M-B-A-L-L. -L. Cool. Thank okay. you very much. That was Thank great. you. This was fun.